Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we've got a Virtual Legality Extra episode. If you haven't been with us for a long time, I don't number the episodes in which we're going to do what I call musing about important issues, hopefully issues that are of interest to you. If you clicked on this video, welcome, uh, but that aren't specifically related to a news item of the day that are related to terms and conditions, a deep dive into an indemnification provision or a lawsuit, which I know you all love, but which I'm interested in because they have ramifications for things either in the world or in this case, in the world of video games. Now you might take a tweet like I put out yesterday night as a bit of a threat where I said at this point I might just do some kind of musings video about the importance of a centralized week of focus on the gaming industry, how the ESA, the Entertainment Software Association, basically fumbled every bit of it, and how folks like Jeff Keighley are on the right track, but not, in my opinion, quite there yet. And I did this in response to the end of E3, uh, and not just this week, but maybe at a more fundamental level. E3 was to put a point on it, pretty poor this year. And there are reasons for that. Of course there are. One of those reasons being that 2020 and 2021 in a remote environment, in a pandemic, is a very trying way to make video games, to make anything really, including legal documents. However, from a consumer perspective, even from a business perspective, the circumstances that give rise to a soft show, like was shown this past week weekend, does not actually make that show any stronger. It just gives excuse for the circumstances at their heart. And 2021, even though it was based on these trying circumstances of 2020 uh, and earlier this year, doesn't actually change the course of what's been happening with the ESA, that is the trade association that runs E3 Week, and E3 itself. And to talk about that, we kind of have to go back in time just a little bit. So if we go to 2019, this was the last big show. This is before the pandemic. You've got Microsoft putting out information about then Project Scarlet, what would become known as Series X, which was only announced as such, importantly, at Jeff Keighley's Game Awards presentation in December of now every year, and looking to be this year as well. And these big shows are what E3 had become. Now, I'm old enough to remember when E3 was effectively a business summit, a very boring one, and one that I was interested in because, as you could probably tell from virtual legality, I like business and I like thinking about things in a certain corporate way. Uh, But you would have PowerPoint presentations that were essentially addressed to folks like investors with curves and bar charts and pie charts and everything else. And while I was interested in it, Not many other outside parties were interested in it. The conference itself was supposed to be limited at that point in time to folks that had some actual position in the industry. There were people that worked at Electronics Boutique and GameStop that also got invites and things like that. So there were consumer presences uh, at the show, but primarily it was a business summit. And this grew and grew and grew uh, until you eventually had Call of Duty people descending on lines throughout the Los Angeles Coliseum and big giant parties and huge audiences that culminated, maybe realistically forever, in 2019 with the last E3 as we knew it. By the time that show is over, the Entertainment Software Association is in a bit of tumult. I did a video, Virtual Legality number 81, 400 episodes ago, that talked about the fact that the ESA had accidentally kept unprotected a lot of the information they had collected from the journalists and other attendees at the show, and that information got out there. 
And the ESA really never fully apologized for it, really never corrected for those issues. Uh, And people that were in attendance at that show were rightly concerned about their personal information, including things like home addresses getting out there into the world when that shouldn't have happened. So the ESA was already in a bit of tumult when they later said, we're going to change E3 as we know it. Why? Because E3, even in 2019, was somewhat waning in viewer attention. You now have a hundred competing conferences, not the least of which are Penny Arcade and Gamescom and the Tokyo Game Show. And E3 was becoming a bit long in the tooth. So they said, you know what? We've got a new president. We're the ESA. We're going to change things up. And what did they say they were going to do? Well, as Game Daily Biz said in September of 2019, they propose an overhaul with cutainment, new floor plan, and an industry-only day, because by 2019, industry veterans, industry participants were complaining that they had made it into a bit of a Disney World event, and that too many bodies in that space meant that you couldn't actually get done what you wanted to get done, whether it was in meetings or actually playing some of these things. So the ESA said, you're right, we're going to change it. In a pitch deck intended for the lobbying group's members, that's the game companies, the ESA says it has plans to adapt its offerings in response to feedback gathered from publishers. As part of its overhaul, the group proposes leaning into influencers and paid celebrity deals with talent representation agencies like UTA and CAA. Big, big talent agencies that actually represent celebrities, not just in video games. In fact, primarily not in video games, with the exception of some people that we've mentioned on this channel, like Dr. Disrespect, who has an agent at CAA, and to lean into having more of those influencer types, more of those celebrities come and represent the show. Why? Presumably in an effort to get more attention. One of the things that video games on the whole have had a really interesting relationship with is media attention. The video game industry is one of the biggest in the world, if not the biggest in the world, depending on certain metrics. And while E3 and a lot of these other conferences focus on what we might consider core games, the games that I grew up with on boxes, played under televisions, and how those have grown up, Mobile games are one of the drivers of why gaming is so big, and mobile games aren't really that terribly well represented in these conferences, and that that might be something that needs to change as part of this discussion as well. These attractions, as described by the ESA and Game Daily Biz here, rely on a massive change to the E3 show floor, and they have a post that has these different experiences that are set to come in 2020, the E3 sports zone, the Unreal Garden, all these kinds of things. The lobbying group says it hopes to create exclusive appointment-only activations, very business synergy corporate speak there, things to do, for select attendees who will create buzz and FOMO, fear of missing out. ESA members shot down the idea of paying celebrities, though, according to three slides labeled member decision points, celebrities will be invited through an organized program instead. And while it's a good idea to not necessarily pay people to be excited at your event, especially when you're trying to represent as something sincere, I don't know whether this would have ever worked out. Of course, E3 2020, as it's described in this 2019 document, never wound up existing. The E3 schedule may also be reconfigured with an industry-only day on Tuesday before opening the doors wide to ticketed members of the general public on Wednesday and Thursday. And the ESA membership is not aligned with the lobbying group that E3 should be a consumer event. The lobbying group's publisher partners shot down an idea for a PlayStation experience like movie theater, 
However, there are a number of consumer-focused plans on the table. A proposed digital app and experience may help mitigate wait times. On paper, this reads like Disney's FastPass system. Users will register for a demo time window and come back later to avoid waiting for hours at a time for a single game. The ESA does have plans to take advantage of those long demo wait times, though the group has plans for what it calls cutainment to market to those in line. This two-pronged approach creates a rich opportunity for E3 exhibitors. Either they will have access to consumer data captured through the app or have a captive audience as people wait in line for demos. And there's more here. A lot of people reflected on the marketing aspect of E3 trying to position itself as being for social good and doing these kinds of things with the show. You can go check out this document. It's a little bit archaic because E3 2020 never happened and the ESA is in a certain kind of free fall with respect to what E3 should be in any event. Now, why is it in that free fall? Well, it was only shortly after that document got leaked to Games Industry Biz or Games Daily Biz, my apologies, where we wound up doing a video on Sony dropping out of E3. I called that video the two competing visions for E3 because what did Sony say? So now we're in January of 2020. They told Games Industry Biz that it does not feel The vision for the event is right for what it has planned for this year. Now, in retrospect, we know that that is also inclusive of what it had planned for 2021. Sony didn't participate in any E3 activities uh, this year. So it doesn't appear to be aligned in general with what the ESA wants to do. They said at 2020, instead, it will attend hundreds of consumer events to showcase upcoming games for PS4 and PS5. Now, I don't think that wound up happening. Again, there is some reason for the excuse there. In 2020, I doubt a lot of consumer events actually happened. But what were their quotes? After thorough evaluation, SIE, Sony Interactive Entertainment, has decided not to participate in E3 2020. We have great respect for the ESA as an organization, but we do not feel the vision of E3 2020 is the right venue for what we are focused on this year. Now, as I said in the video where I covered this originally, this is as close as you can get to a kind of corporate shade. Hey, you're our trade association. You go lobby for video games in Washington and do other things. We're not going to throw you under the bus in terms of respect, but we are going to say we disagree entirely with what you are deciding to do with your Keystone tentpole conference. And so we're not going to participate which is a big deal. There's a certain amount of network effect and need for the whole group to be a part of this to make something like E3 work. And when Sony cuts out, that's a big deal. And it's a big deal last year. It's a big deal this week where you feel the whole of one of the major video game providers in the world just saying, nah, we're not going to participate at all. Why did they say that? They said their focus is on making sure fans feel part of the PlayStation family and have access to play their favorite content. Now, this is always an unusual bit of the conversation in 2020 because the ESA ostensibly was trying to make their show more consumer-focused, but they were trying to make it more consumer-focused by paying celebrity talent and influencers to pretend that they were excited at these kinds of events. So it was always this kind of separation of sincerity, which in 2020, in 2021, creates inherent problems. Even if you like influencers, even if you like that celebrity and the movies that they are in, there's always this notion of insincerity when you deal with these kinds of things in a situation like this. And it's something that E3, heck, the games, awards, other things that Jeff Keighley has put together, other events that if you've followed video games for as long as I have, you've just had a tendency to watch, have had this level of insincerity thrust upon them. And the ESA didn't appear to be alleviating that, but instead steering into it. And so you've got Sony and PlayStation saying, well, we got better things to do with our time. 
Then the ESA comes out with a statement shortly after Sony announces that and says a whole bunch of garbledygook. E3 2020 will be an exciting high-energy show featuring new experiences, partners, exhibitor spaces, activations, and programming that will entertain new and veteran attendees alike. Exhibitor interest in our new activations is gaining the attention of brands that view E3 as a key opportunity to connect with video game fans worldwide. They're trying to answer what Sony said there, but they're doing it with Harvard Business School speak that doesn't really speak to any given audience except maybe themselves. This was then exacerbated a little bit after by Jeff Keighley, who had been a voice at E3, had run the E3 Coliseum. As he says here, he has attended and otherwise covered the E3 Electronic Entertainment Exposition for 25 years. And he said, I'm not going to do that anymore. I've debated what to say about E3 2020. While I want to support the developers who will showcase their work, I also need to be open and honest with you, the fans, about precisely what to expect from me. For the first time in 25 years, I will not be participating. And then in this thread, people asked him to say, hey, why? And he said, a ton of factors. I just don't really feel comfortable participating given what I know about the show as of today presumably related to some of those leaked materials and the ESA floundering as to what this show should be, which led to Jeff Keighley last year and this year creating the Summer Game Fest and positioning it directly in opposition to E3. In fact, Summer Game Fest, you would be forgiven for thinking is a part of E3 because it basically kicked things off here on June 16th, 2021, last Thursday. And you can see Jeff Keighley doing his thing, just like the Game Awards with the new item and presented by Amazon Prime Gaming. And I think a lot of people have issues with this. I'm not one of them. Uh, Jeff Keighley is a person. He undoubtedly has some entities that he operates these kinds of things under, but he's a person who's using his industry connections to get people at the table, to put forth what he views as a celebration of video gaming. And he does it writ large with the help of things like sponsors. And those sponsors include Amazon. And I think a couple of times uh, during Summer Game Fest, during the kickoff special, which was really the primary Summer Game Fest event here, he goes and has an Amazon gaming commercial, talks about what you can get from Twitch Prime and things like that. And to me, that's the cost of doing business. The ESA is a giant trade association that's funded by the money from its members and can get away with only giving commercials for the video games themselves and not the ancillary materials. But Jeff Keighley can't do that. Jeff Keighley has to go and has to make these kinds of connections and get this thing funded. And while I think in a perfect world, you would have an event like this one go away from things like advertising and go away from things like direct sponsorship and celebrity appearances and whatever it is, music labels selling uh, banned things that are tangentially related to video games. This to me is the start of something that looks a little bit more sincere overall than what the ESA has proposed and is yet still a celebration of video games aimed at consumers, but with a certain patina of professionalism that gets you over the hump of what the ESA has been dealing with and what, heck, even Electronic Arts and other game publishers that have tried to bring influencers into the fold and pay people to come and say nice things about their video games have been dealing with on the whole. I am, as I indicated in the tweet that I put out yesterday, broadly in line with what Summer Game Fest and Jeff Keighley is trying to do here, even though I think there are things to make it better and there are things that are not yet fully complete. And I think Jeff Keighley would even admit that on his own. So we'll talk about that a little later in the video, but this is what Jeff did in response. And this week, he 
kind of bit in to E3 a little bit, and with good reason to some extent. One of the things that happened, he says, I did try to play nice. Creators, be wary unless you have permission. Good thing we have direct deals with the publishers at Summer Game Fest was that he noted that E3 had a problem telling co-streamers that they would be safe co-streaming. Or as they said in an email to Jeff, though we encourage fan engagement and people to co-stream and think that it is great when the community does it, we do not speak for platforms like Twitch, YouTube, or Facebook. We recommend that the terms of servicing guidelines for those platforms be followed for such events. Now that's paragraph is again, gobbledygook from the ESA. You're always supposed to comport with the terms of service and guidelines. One of the things we've talked about in virtual legality ad nauseum is the fact that unfortunately you're acting on the largesse of a bunch of these companies that maybe or maybe not get the licenses that you need to do things like rebroadcast their video game or their presentation on video games. This doesn't tell anyone whether or not the people that are making the E3 conferences have actually gotten the licenses necessary to allow for co-streaming or rebroadcasting. So what they say is, well, we don't know. So it's buyer beware. We had a co-streaming program, which probably from a legal perspective had something like license seats that you got some kind of certification that you could point to, to show that you were allowed to stream that music or that production or what have you. But that, that had limited availability and the co-streaming spots were quickly filled. Again, thanks for your interest. You know, best of luck next time. And Jeff says, well, this is, this is no way to run a railroad. You need to do something better here. Microsoft did do something a little bit better on their end. They said, we've been cooperating closely with the music industry and with platforms like YouTube and Twitch because music industry is the one that gets folks into the most trouble on these platforms because... Frankly, they use bots to DMCA strike to cause trouble for people's livelihoods on these systems. And it's unclear exactly how they treat the situation like this one where there's a proper license. Microsoft says, hey, we've been working together with everybody to get things licensed for this presentation. We think you're all good, but due to forces beyond our control, as they describe it, we cannot guarantee that glitches or disruptions by bots and other automated software won't interfere with your co-stream your best bet is to co-stream Twitch directly and then good luck from there. There was also a little bit of a brouhaha with respect to Nintendo and whether you could co-stream with them that I might do as part of a separate video because I think people were probably mistranslating what Nintendo was saying, but that's neither here nor there. The point is that the ESA and E3 that develops certain of its power, certain of its usefulness by co-streaming and participating in what has become a very large and prevalent industry and folks at YouTube and Twitch is not doing anything to help folks do that, to help them market their own industry, to grow the pie that is at their core, the mission statement for their very existence. Instead, they're sending emails to folks like Jeff Keighley, who've been involved in video games probably more than anybody at the ESA and saying, eh, you know, you don't have an invite here. So good luck with respect to your licenses. He also pointed out that the ESA actually gave a quote <laughs> to Kotaku on this. He said, we appreciate Jeff and everything he's done for the video game industry. The decision to not include him in the small list of official co-streamers was absolutely no personal slight. In addition to our distribution service and media partners, we focused on a diverse group of influencers and creators who consistently create video game content across YouTube, Twitch, and or Facebook. I I'm unclear as to what more somebody like Mr. Keeley could do <laughs> to justify inclusion on that list. Uh, and yet, here we are. You can certainly sense a certain amount of bitterness here uh, from Mr. Keeley, and some of it's warranted. Certainly it can be off-putting for those of you that maybe don't like his persona, don't like the products that he puts out there. But this schism 
between Jeff Keighley, one of the major factors in bringing people together, he brought, you know, the heads of Nintendo and Microsoft and Sony together on his Game Awards stage. He really is a force for trying to make these shows happen. Half of them wouldn't exist without his desire to put them on. And to not be included like this is, in a sense, a direct implication on the ESA and E3. And it's not great for the video game industry to have a schism like this, but it certainly is interesting for someone like a business lawyer that enjoys looking at things in the industry. You then have Jeff Keighley going out with a little bit of a smarmy. I did try to tell you guys when E3 turned out to be very soft. And again, without Summer Game Fest, without some of the stuff that was ancillary to E3, you can see how soft it was. You have Ubisoft Forward on Saturday, not a terribly strong show. You have Gearbox, maybe the weakest show ever. On Sunday, you have Xbox and Bethesda Game Showcase, which I think a lot of people thought was a strong show. I think it was a good show. Here you get into kind of pandemic excuses. The vast bulk of what they had to show at this particular presentation was not going to be available in the next six months, was not going to be available at any given time, even in 2022. And we all have to wait and see exactly how development times proceed from here in the summer of 2021. But compared to what everybody else was showing, it certainly was a standout. Square Enix basically had Guardians of the Galaxy to show for 20 minutes and then little extras, certainly no Final Fantasy 16, no Final Fantasy 7 Remake 2. And then you have Back for Blood, a somewhat weak PC gaming show, an interesting future game show, highly recommend it. Monday, almost nothing, nothing of interest across this. Uh, you had an indie showcase, which was somewhat light. Freedom Games was interesting. Capcom, completely weak. And then Nintendo on Tuesday. So you, you look at what the E3 presentation actually was, and it was videos from Xbox and Bethesda, a week showing from Ubisoft and Gearbox, a week showing from Capcom, limited showings from the indies, who probably did better than any of the big companies, if we're being honest, and then a relatively light showing from Nintendo, at least in respect of 2021 and the next year. And you look at this and you say, yeah, that was pretty weak. And certainly we want to give them credit for putting on a show in 2021 after a very difficult 2020. And yet... Summer Games Fest went out there with what amounts to, at, if we're being generous, an equal show to anything that the ESA or E3 was to put together. You don't have Sony appearing. You don't have some of the big guns from folks like Square appearing, or presumably Ubisoft has some stuff on the back burner that they're holding. And, and why don't you have those things? Well, because if you look at what the show is now and what it became, it used to be a business presentation. In the middle there, it was something interesting to my eye, which was developers playing through games, or at least pretending to play through games, showing what it was like, showing how they made the decisions they did. You think of things like the Uncharted 2 presentation or other Ubisoft games that had long-form presentations and interviews with the developers and what they were thinking in making this game, adding something to just the YouTube trailer role. And unfortunately, Sony and PlayStation had a great deal of success just running YouTube trailers for an hour. And because they had that success, primarily because they had really good IP and really good games that they were creating using that method, you have an Xbox and Bethesda game showcase, which almost has nothing added to it other than video game trailers that you can watch after the fact. Same with Nintendo, same with Ubisoft. Gearbox does have a lot of Randy Pitchford walking around a movie set, if that's what does it for you, but it doesn't really add to an understanding of the video games, how they get developed, or as a celebration of that fact. You've got Sony skipping out on E3, why? Because every single developer and publisher can go out there with their own video role, command the stage for a moment in time, and not worry about getting swamped by Microsoft or Nintendo or Ubisoft or EA or anyone else. 
But that's myopic to my eye. I look at that and I say, yeah, that's fine for any given publisher, but there is a value in actually having the focus placed on everything that's happening in the industry. That mainstream media doesn't follow video games like you or I might do, and that putting all the announcements in one place, having a big rip-roaring party that celebrates video games is something that is worthwhile, is something that is useful to shine a spotlight on what's happening because at that point in time, you give journalists at mainstream media a lot to talk about, a lot of articles that they can pull. You do get some of that attention. And if the purpose in all this is to grow the pie, then grow the pie. And Microsoft is looking to do that. They aren't big participants in E3, certainly not as presented in 2021, but they do their thing at the same time as E3. They're representative of what they want video gaming to be. And I think that's great. Nintendo doesn't participate as much as Microsoft. Sony doesn't participate at all. And so you're left talking about folks like Jeff Keighley. And again, as I said, as part of this video, I understand people not loving his persona, not loving what he has to go out there and do to make these things happen. He is famously the origin point for the Doritos Pope meme, where, look, he's talking about Halo 4, but he's selling Mountain Dew, he's selling Doritos. It's all about getting certain of those sponsorships working so that he can talk about what he wants to talk about. And yes, that includes giving ads to Amazon Prime Gaming. That includes giving the opportunity for some of these video game designers to come to Summer Game Fest with basically nothing and just try to prop up what their games are going to be. But to my eye, again, that looks to me more like a first step than anything else. That looks to me more like getting out of the zone of making solely trailer roles that just talk about video games in the abstract and that you could watch on YouTube anytime from now until the game releases to do something more. And yes, you have to go and get these things funded for right now, but in a perfect world, I can see a version of Summer Game Fest and whatever else this thing might be called where you say to a game publisher or developer, if you don't bring something real, you're not in the show because you have so many people that are invested in participating and you have funding from what you're getting from ad views or other more indirect sponsorship, financing of what could be a very big, very profitable, well-made show. And then you aren't doing the kinds of things that make people say, "Ugh, I don't want to watch an Amazon commercial. This feels a little icky. I don't blame them for any of that except that the real world does call for you to get these things actually made for them to exist. And so I am more sympathetic to the Jeff Keeleys of the world and whoever might follow him. This isn't a Jeff Keeley video. This is about separating out from what this E3 experience has become and hopefully making something better. Because if there's one thing that's happened throughout all of this from 2019 till now, is that there has been a giant movement from some of the biggest actors in the industry away from what the ESA has done and what they plan to do with E3. I called this in one of my earlier videos a massive vote of no confidence. And you get that from Sony, that's a big deal. Microsoft's taking advantage of it right now because they view it as useful, more valuable to participate in something like this without any other noise as the biggest players in the pond. But at some point, if the ESA isn't delivering that value, there's really no point for even Microsoft to participate in something like this. They could run that trailer role whenever they want. They can have their Xbox events whenever they want. And if this continues to look more and more like this, I can't see it continuing in this state for much longer. This is essentially the walking dead right now. And it will be curious to see how it proceeds from there. Because while there has been a vote of no confidence in the ESA, it's not quite dead yet. 
And honestly, if we're going to have celebrities talking about things crazily in respect to video games, I'd rather see folks like Giancarlo Esposito talking about his participation in Far Cry 6 like a crazy person at Summer Game Fest than I would like to see Electronic Arts or whomever at E3 or at the ESA bringing in influencers and tangentially related celebrities to kind of sound like they don't really play video games or aren't really invested in having that celebration and excitement of what video games can be, right? So I said I wanted to muse about what this is. What I know it isn't is video roles that are just trailers that you can find on any given day on YouTube, just state of plays run at the same time. I know if this is to be successful and if this is to actually have the spotlight effect that we want it to have, it isn't that. I think there needs to be a happy medium between, sure, talking to celebrities that are involved in these games, but also talking to the developers, talking about the people that make these things, the choices that they make, getting you excited about what video games can be. There's one thing that I really, really love from Jeff Keighley, and I love it basically every year. And it's not Doritos. It's not Mountain Dew. It's the opening video that he makes every year for the Game Awards. And it's a video that talks about what gaming means and how important it can be to so many people, how it can bring people together. And that includes consumers. Of course it does. We're the ones that buy the games, but it includes the people that make them, that devote their lives to not making as much money as they could make making an accounting program or doing art for an architectural firm, but instead devote their lives to making these things that we love so much. And there's a real passion and feeling for that. Go watch Game Awards videos, introductions from the past couple of years. And if we can get back to that, if we can get to an E3 that actually celebrates games and not just celebrates the celebrities that appear in them or the influencers that talk about them and make money from them, I think we've got something that we can actually have in maybe an E3, if the ESA wants to make it that, or something else, whether it's Summer Game Fest or called something else, Hogtopia, virtual legality, whatever it might be, because I think there's a place for it. I think there's a value in it. And it just makes me a little bit sad that that value isn't right now becoming apparent at the world's biggest trade association representing video games. This has been Virtual Legality for today. We don't always do musings, but when we do, we try to make them a half hour long. Please consider supporting the channel if you like these conversations. We've got a Patreon, we've got Streamlabs, we've got a store where you can buy shirts and mugs, or just subscribe and tell your friends that we're having hopefully informational, educational, and useful conversations about video games, pop culture, business, law, and everything in between. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.